Oh, hey, Fiona. Hey, Tristan. How's your week been? It's been good, thanks. How was yours? My week was excellent. Why? Well, I got to do an interview with one of the coolest dudes on Twitter. Amazing. Who? A guy called Arvid Carl. And who is Arvid? Arvid is basically a rock star of the entrepreneurial, building public, solopreneurial world. He's originally from Germany, now lives in Canada. And Arvid built his own software product. He's an engineer by trade, software engineer. He built his own software product back in the day and sold it for an undisclosed amount of money. I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to get to the bottom of that. No, no. <laughs> and he uh, has since dedicated his life to helping others become, uh, build in public and build in an intelligent way, create products and use communities and feedback and input from everyone else to, to know how to build and move forward in, in developing their businesses. Yeah. Yeah, he's an author. He, he has podcasts. He does lots of videos. He's an all-around awesome dude. He's very friendly, very kind, and extremely helpful. And never for a minute did I think he would come on our little podcast. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. How did it come about? Basically, I reached out on Twitter to uh, just the Twitter sphere and said, does anyone know how to grow your podcast or to get some really cool people on? And someone said, yeah, you should try having Arvid Carl on your podcast. I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, Arvid responded. He said, yeah. That's amazing. That's it, so cool. It probably helped that we have a German name, <laughs> a, a terrible German po um, pun yeah. uh, as our podcast name. And I think that appealed to him a little bit. He said he couldn't help himself. He had to come on the pod. Well, I'm glad it didn't put him off. It would put most people off. It's a pretty terrible pun. But Arvid's a great guy. Cool. Oh, well, I cannot wait to listen to the interview. And I'm really jealous that I wasn't there. Well, you can listen to it right now. Let's dive in. Great. Hello, I'm Fiona. And I'm Tristan. And welcome to the Versed Kaiser Scenario. The podcast where we find out just what happens when you quit your day job with no other job to go to. Which is exactly what I've just done. Ah, oh, no. Uh-oh. Hello, Arvid. Hey, how's it going? Nice, nice to be here. Yeah, also, it's so good to have you here. I have been a fan for a long time, I have to say. Oh, that's sweet of you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm very glad that we get to talk. I just love the fact that it's so easy to just get together, have a little chat uh, over this this wonderful medium that is the internet. So yeah, I'm totally happy to be here today. And like, whatever you have, like, let me know. Awesome. So I, I, I'm going to start by welcoming you to the first Kaiser scenario, but I'm going to have to ask you very good situation there. How did I go? Um, yeah, that was that was great. Worst case scenario. That's that's my kind of my kind of phrase. I love it. Like, as a German, it's just I, I thought, how could I not? Right? How could I not come? So yeah, you, it's, a, it's a great name for a podcast. I, I love that you chose something almost uh, unpronounceable for most people outside of Germany. Perfect. My two, <laughs> my two favorite. Great things. choice. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> oh, me too. It, it, it's it's bizarre um, how how that is one of the lamest puns. And also one of the most basic foods at the same time. It's just, it's just wonderful. It works. <laughs> it's, well. it's one of the. It's one of those things. Like I, I I'm German, right? I, I grew up there, and I, I moved from Germany to Canada just recently, year ago. And it's it's funny, like basic things such as sausages and and cheese, like wurst and käse, are 
um, very different in, in just subtle oh, yeah. ways. But they, they, yeah, it's, it's like the Canadian dairy culture is, is different. Like in, in Germany, you probably wouldn't be able to find skim milk anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a big thing in North America for some reason. Right? Germany is very like fat heavy when it comes to that kind of stuff. Very different here. Cheese. We don't have cheddar in Germany, and all we have here in Canada is cheddar for some reason. It's it's kind of you know like these little things that are slightly different, and it, it makes it makes a lot of um, interesting dishes that uh, where I try to make German meals with Canadian ingredients. Like, this is now turning into a cooking show. I hope you're it's fine. Yeah, well, we don't really have a we don't really have a genre. So that's cool. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's these little things like if you move from one place to another, and I think many digital nomads will know and many people who like to travel, like you kind of have to adopt to the local, you know, varieties of things to what you're used to and have to adopt what you used to to the local varieties of things. So it's a it's an interesting little challenge for for me as somebody who's grown up for 30 some years in one country and is now living in another but um in a, in a funny way it, that really is the worst case scenario that uh things are slightly different you know and, and that's it like everything else people are still nice and in canada in particular they are really nice canada, right? people help each other right like the, 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 that's not just a saying that's actually true and the, the world is still the same, even though the language may be different or the, you know, how people certain have certain customs may be different. But in the end, like, you know, particularly with the Internet connecting us, life in Canada and life in Berlin is not too different after all. I'm closer to the people that speak the language that I operate in, maybe. Yeah. And I have a much bigger backyard than I would be able to have in Germany. Because, you <laughs> know, size uh, is, quite, is quite a different concept here in North America. But other than that life is great I, i'm i'm really enjoying it can tell you that i'm really happy i can, to be, I can really deal with the, the sausage all right so Avid, again it's so great to have you here there may be many listeners oh i'm hoping there's many listeners we're still early days probably have like 10 but there may be some listeners who who are surprised to not yet know who you are um they will of course mm. at the end of this be very much aware of who you are but would it be okay for you to give us just a little little backstory before we dive in too much on sure. who Avakal is and where he came from? It's always kind of hard to figure out in retrospect. Funny enough, I'm I'm dealing with this in a in an almost technological level at, at this at this moment, summarizing things, right? Summarizing your own life and picking out the things that are important. That is surprisingly hard. And even mm. AI tools that we use today have trouble figuring out the relevant parts of any piece of text. So if I look at my life as like a list of things I did. I don't know which ones are the important ones. I, that's actually hard to figure out. But let's just say I used to be a software engineer and then I turned into a software engineer that is also an entrepreneur. And then I turned into a software engineer, engineer that is also an entrepreneur, that is also a writer. And then I turned into, you know, adding more and more to this. Now I'm kind of a, a media person, media company influencer. I don't like the term, but that's kind of what I do. I, I have a certain audience that I talk to and teach. I think at the most essential part, I always wanted to be a person teaching others how to do things better. I always wanted to empower people and always wanted to give them the opportunities to help other people themselves. And throughout my life, I've been doing this through software because mm -hmm. I've always been a nerd. I'm a bit Trekkie, Harry Potter fan, and also big techie in the same regard, right? I, I come from the, the very standard nerd kind. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm from. And I've used that in, in many ways to find interesting jobs and meet interesting people and build interesting projects. I've been working for 
uh, Silicon Valley venture funded businesses. I've been working for more traditional European German software businesses, very traditional. And I've done freelancing consulting along the way. And then at some point in um, 2013, 14, 15, I started bootstrapping businesses with friends and colleagues, failed horribly many, many times, like disastrously, but always learned something. And have throughout that time consulted, freelanced, and even found a job as a software engineer. And then in 2017, with my girlfriend, I figured out, hmm, we could build a problem-solving tool for your particular problem as an online English teacher. I built it. She became the CEO of the business that we founded, and that was Feedback Panda. Uh, software as a service business, helping online English teachers be more productive. So essentially what it was. And two years later, we had um, monthly recurring revenue of $55,000, which is substantial for a two-person yeah. business. And we uh, let ourselves be acquired just before two years were over for a life-changing amount, really. Like, that's the reason why I'm now sitting in my house in Canada, ha having nothing to do, really, other than talking to interesting people about interesting things. That's my life now, by choice. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened then in 2019. And ever since then, I've been writing and trying to give back to the community because one thing I figured out in going through this for the first time successful act of bootstrapping a business is that we are all standing on the shoulders of giants. Like literally um, every single person in the field has been taught something by everybody else around them, by their peers, by mentors, by teachers. And no success is really a self, self-induced thing. That there's always something, right? There's either luck or the right teacher at the right time online that is personal success. So I'm trying to be that person for other people, just as people were that for me while I was on the way to that. I really yeah, I've been liked, writing books. Oh, sorry. I just to just to point out, I really liked what you said earlier about teaching people now has become something that you're very passionate about. And it also, mm. in a way, correlates to the SaaS business that you built, Feedback Panda, with your girlfriend, mm. which was, of course, yeah, a that's right. platform. Do you yeah, think that's, you that's interesting, right? It works its way through everything that you kind of do. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I like that business, Feedback Panda, I built kind of as a moonlighting project or as a side project while I was actually a full time employee at a, at a software business. And um, I, I was employed by a company in, in Hamburg in Germany, but I was living in Berlin in Germany. And if you open Google Maps and you look at the distance between these two, that's that's a couple hundred kilometers. So in the morning, I would hop on a train, go for like two and a half hours by train, oh, wow. and arrive and go to work. Uh, three days a week. It was half remote, which was back then in 2017. That was already a thing. You know? <laughs> Anyhow, the, the idea was that I had a lot of time during that commute, commute in, in Germany in particular, the trains, they don't really have reliable Wi-Fi because Germany only has good connectivity in the cities and everything between is barren when it comes to the, the kind of uh, high quality Wi-Fi signal that you might want to have. You don't. So you have to do something about that. So I read a lot. I listened to a lot of podcasts that I downloaded earlier, that kind of stuff. So I was consistently exposed to other people's journeys, other people's teachings, other people's success and failures. And that kind of formed in me the willingness to be that for somebody else, just like I said, try to be the teacher. And in everything that I did in that business and beyond after it, in my writing, my podcasting, my newsletter, my just presence on Twitter, I try to be that for at least one person a day. That's kind of my rule. Help one person a day and do that for every day of the year. And you kind of helped a solid amount of people. Yeah. So yeah, everything I do is permeated by that. Fantastic. Very cool. And uh, I have to say, I am a customer of yours. I have purchased 
Ah, that's so sweet. Thank you. You'll notice there's not too many creases in the in the spine here. I should have definitely <laughs> uh, actually read it. No, I have. So I you so you read it, it through in one go? Is that what it is? One night, yeah, one day. I couldn't put it down. Um, no, but it's very cool. And there's a lot to learn, I think, uh, not only for people who are interested in building SaaS products, of course, but in uh, particularly what I found interesting with the community stuff. And the, you're a massive proponent, of course, of community building and also using communities to help entrepreneurs find problems that they might solve, right? Um, you've got yeah, Inbound right. Entrepreneur and Find Your Following, which are obviously, uh, I guess, aimed at that. Would you like to talk a little bit about those two things? Because I think that for this podcast, for worst case scenario, where we're, where we're getting, we're talking to people who are getting started in their, the initial parts of their entrepreneurial journey building a community is something that might still be a bit of a foreign concept to some people. Uh, I'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts on, on that. Yeah. Okay. So the, the book you just held up, the zero to soul, that is my, my, my first thing that I ever wrote really as, as a one cohesive big unit. And it goes through the whole journey, right? Of starting a business to selling a business. And for most people who are starting a business, most of that book is not relevant just yet. And I noticed that like people were talking to me when they picked up Zero to Sold, they got into it and they were like, okay, yeah, I read the first quarter and that's already way more than I can handle. And now I have to deal with all of these things. And was I, like, yeah, that that's was right. me. This yeah. is more like a... That was me. And, and, yeah, that, and that is perfectly fine because it's kind of a, a manual for the whole journey, right? You kind of read it as you go. That's at least how I see people using it successfully. But the, the, the most um, frequent wouldn't call it a complaint comment maybe on it was yeah. okay this was awesome it's, it's very helpful i want more of this initial stuff i want more like actionable steps to take to be able to start to get started because you know most books are theoretical in many ways and i try to be pragmatic but there's always the kind of a, a dissonance between what people hear and what they then do right there's a distance between those two things and bridging that usually takes more actionable things so that's why i wrote the embedded entrepreneur which is half a book about audience building and half a twitter course in the book form i guess and then somebody told me well can you just like turn that into an actual twitter course and then find you following happened as the actual twitter course and like all of my the stuff that i do is very audience driven as you can tell because zero to sold was written people told me we want more of the first part i wrote the embedded entrepreneur people told me we want more of the latter part and then there came the course and that is kind of the process that i also describe in the book the idea of right. listening to the community around you and like by choice being in communities where the people that you want to serve and empower, you would call them your potential customers, your prospects, hang out and talk about the things that they care about. And the embedded entrepreneur is really just a step-by-step -step guide to figuring out who do you want to help? How much do you care about them? Are there opportunities in the field? Do they have money? Do they have a budget for stuff? Like, can you actually build a business there? And do you care about this field enough to spend the next couple of years, if not a decade in this field? And then once you've made that choice from all the potential audiences that you can have, there's a little step-by-step -step guide to rank them and figure out which one is the most important one. And then we could talk about that if you like. Um, once you have made that choice, then you have to find them. Then you have to figure out where are they? Are they on Twitter? Are they on Reddit? Are they in little Facebook groups that I need to be invited into? Okay. Are they in a weird form that looks like it's from the 90s, but is still 
like a super interesting source of people highly interconnectedly talking about the things that they care about. And then once you are in those communities, you just shut up and you listen to what they have to say. That's one of the things that most people find a bit surprising because when you see an entrepreneurs in communities, they often are call it more like boastful about what they're trying to do, right? Oh, I'm building this new business that will help you solve all your problems. Here I am, yeah. come to me, buy my thing, right? The kind of self-promotion that you often see. Highly problematic in communities where people actually want to be safe and feel like nobody's intruding, trying to push their products into their community. Big mistake to do this. So most of the time you benefit from just like really doing nothing at all, listening to people, engaging and maybe conversations, asking more questions to pull out more information. But you just what you want to do in that moment, if you join a community to build a business from is to figure out what problems are people talking about. That's really the basic mission in there, because a problem is an indication of a willingness to pay money for a solution, right? Not, it's, it's not a guarantee. Like it could be a problem that people have, don't even know that they could pay money for a solution. And then you need to educate them and then spend a lot of money to market to them. Maybe not a good idea, but sometimes problems and the crude solutions that people already have for them are pretty solid indicators that you could do something about it if you wanted to. And, so and you look for have... people complaining oh, and so on. If you found a problem within your community that people were talking about frequently and you thought, oh, cool, this could be my opportunity. I'm going to go after that thing. Mm -hmm. How would you go about validating what you've just, that thought you've just had about, oh, here's an opportunity for me to dive on. What would be your mm -hmm. process now taking one mm -hmm. step? Well, my, my process is one of like judoing validation because I believe that validation by itself is a term that is very often used in, in a way where it's really not helpful because you can't actually validate anything. Like it's impossible to validate a theory because somewhere out there might be the one counterexample to invalidate it, right? And, and you, you, you should look for the counterexample. And if you cannot find the counterexample, then there's a high chance that the theory might be valid. So it's kind of the inversion of the idea. When I go out there, and I see an opportunity and my mind makes makes up all these cool stories about, oh, I built a business around this and then you're like thousands of customers and it's going to sell itself. I'll build it and they will come. All these stories that we tell ourselves, right? When I, when I feel this, I try to flip it around and say, okay, what would be an indicator of this not being a successful idea? What could I find? Uh, how could I find the invalidation method for this particular idea? Has somebody else tried this and failed? Has, are wrong. there people out there? Sorry? Trying to prove yourself wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's the idea. The idea is to, to stop my mind from dreaming too much and from looking into the reality of things and figure out where could this have gone wrong already for somebody else? Where could this potentially go wrong for people right now? And I can watch them fail. So I can, you know, that, that happens all the time. And where could this go wrong for me in the future? And really, you, you look for people who tried it before. You look for people who are trying and who are trying to market and just fizzle out. And you look for very easily, I guess, you look for people who have tried things that didn't work for them and you talk to them. That, there is a part where you, where you stop watching and you start engaging, but first you try to figure out what problems people have. And so the order is figure out what common problems exist and then talk to people about why they still have the problem, even though people out there are trying to help them, what solutions they've already tried, what didn't work for them, what their 
perception of the problem is? Like, is, is it critical even? Like, is it something that you go out of your way to find a solution for? Or is it just, okay, I'm going to spend that hour and do this manually. It's just once a month anyway, right? There, there are different qualities to a good problem. And that you can figure out from inside a community just by listening and talking to people. Try pulling out more information about the criticality and the commonality of problems in that community. Yeah, so I think you've landed on a good point there where you, where you say just because a problem exists, it doesn't mean that someone's going to spend money to fix this or even mm -hmm. use a free product potentially to fix this because it's not necessarily yeah. a big enough itch that they feel it needs scratching, even if it is. That's a super point. important point. Yeah, I think this is one of the most important points that many new entrepreneurs seem to completely ignore is the fact that just a piece of paper and the pen is a solution to like 95% of the problems that people have. And you're always competing with pen and paper. You likely always compete with Excel because in some way you can probably solve your problem in Excel. You're always competing with email because you probably could just send data as an attachment to an email instead of doing your file sharing or whatnot kind of platform upload. There are always free and very commonly used solutions out there that people very consistently build crude but workable solutions in. So this kind of a, a two-sided situation here because on the one hand, it's a clear indicator that there is a problem that people need solving. On the other hand, it's a somewhat clear indicator that maybe people don't need a better solution. Maybe what they have currently is good enough for them. And then you have to figure out, okay, is it like, is there a chance that there is a subgroup of these people that really need a better solution, right? Are there professionals in there for, for whom this is just a crutch and they, they hate it and they want something? Or is it all just people, amateurs or, or people who don't care, don't have a budget that use this and it's fine? Right. For Feedback Panda, I can give you a little anecdote here. Um, we had we had one competitor and that was a collaboratively edited Google Sheet. That was okay. our competitor and that was free. So people like teachers, online teachers, they were all working for the same companies. They were teaching for Chinese businesses who connected like native speaking, native English speaking people with Chinese children. That was kind of the, the market that we were in. And all these teachers were teaching the same curriculum, the same kind of lessons, just to different kids. And if you need to give feedback to the parent for, for the kids to become more successful, that was part of the deal. You need to write a little thing. And we built a tool that helped people template that particular student feedback. And people um, then could do this faster and spend more time teaching and less time doing administrative work. That was the, the kind of promise of our business. Very simple, very specific problem that we solved. And people had already been solving this. They had their own little systems where they had templates somewhere in a Word document or an Excel sheet. And then people figured out, okay, we could share this with each other because we're all teaching the same lessons anyway. And there was a Google sheet where people could like put in the name of the class and they would pull up like a version of that template. So we were competing against free. So we had to build something significantly better than a Google Sheet. Fortunately, Google Sheet being the kind of jack of all trades is not really easily integrated into other products, right? You can't yeah. just like pull data from one source into the other. You need like a transmission system. Now, I guess today with Zapier and if this and that and stuff, you could probably glue together a no-code tool or Airtable something in there as well. So I guess we were lucky at that time that nobody had figured that out just yet. But we built a, a tool that was specifically integrating into these people's classrooms that Google Sheets could not. We built a tool that had a, a kind of ranked system where teachers could share templates with each other, something Google Sheets could not. And we had an AI-based 
text translation tool in the background that would translate templates from he, him, his to she, her, hers. So people would only need to write one template for one gender out of the two that they had, you know, and um, translate it into the other. Like Chinese companies, they're a bit traditional when it comes to this. So you had these two genders and you needed to translate templates from one to another. Also a thing that Google Sheets did not have, right? Because that took significant work to, to figure out how to automatically do this with machine translation. Even though Google is good at translating, they're not good at these specific kind of tasks. So we built a product that had a built-in network effect that had very reliable data integration into their, their classrooms and that they could use without, you know, some sort of control over their own templates as well. They didn't have to share everything they could choose to share. And it was a spe specific tool for specific people solving a specific task. And that helped compete against free because we could charge for this. With Feedback Panda, how did you or did you, maybe is, is a better question, employ community building or, or finding problems within, within an audience uh, for that specific yeah. product? So um, it started as a, as a single user product. Danielle, my girlfriend, she was an online English teacher. She had the problem just as every other online English teacher in her, the company that she served or that she, that she was employed by had the exact same problem. She was in online communities, mostly Facebook groups, where people were complaining about this all the time. Like there wouldn't be a day that went by without somebody just like pulling out their hairs over student feedback and how hard it was to organize it. It was a, like a, a visibly complicated issue that people Online English teachers, maybe not the most technical people, teachers really, like people who are good at math, good at languages, but not necessarily the most computer savvy people had struggle dealing with, right? It was just hard for them to fix or hard for them to do in a way that didn't like take two hours a day, an additional unpaid, but necessary to be paid labor. So there, there was a very clear problem. Danielle felt it. I could see her feel it. She was wasting two hours a day. I knew how to build software. She saw certain things that could be automated, approached me and together we built the product for her. I mean, I've been building SaaS businesses before. I know how to set up a SaaS business. I know how to, you know, build an account management system, how to integrate a payment provider. These things were not new to me. So when I solved it for her, I kind of, you know, build it as a platform to begin with. So it wasn't just a tool for her. It was a platform with one user. It was great. And um, she used it. It was horrible. We made it better. And then she introduced it to the community through the existing channels that she was part of, that she had already been engaging people in. Like she was not a complete nobody in her community. And then over time, we, we used that community to A, source more problems that people might have to build features into a product that solved them for them, to keep in touch with how people were regarding a product and how they were communicating about it. And to just empower people to help each other be better teachers. That was a big part of it too. We had a, a weekly newsletter where we didn't really talk about a product that was sometimes in there, but what we, what we did was talk about better teaching and we highlighted a teacher from the community every single week. Like we would pull out one random person from our database, one of our users, we would approach them via email, tell them, hey, talk, if you want to be in the newsletter, you can just share your story and you can share a picture of your family if you like, or just you in front of your computer, whatever you want. We want to make you the VI Panda, the, the highlight of the community. 
and we did and and people love that like they would send us the stuff like months in advance and just share cool family pictures like somewhere on a vacation or in their home in their backyard like playing with the dog and telling us about their journey how they became a teacher it was so nice but first of teachers are a great audience to serve yeah. they're severely underfunded they're severely underpaid they're they, they don't they lack the tools they really need but they love sharing knowledge they love helping each other they love yeah, okay. obviously teaching the, the kids and everybody that they they are supposed to teach but they also teach each other it's a great community to build a tool based on sharing things and then build a referral system where people share the tool with each other and everybody gets something positive out of it it was a wonderful community to serve and helping them build more community like without our tool but also including it that wasn't too hard we just needed to tap into the channels they already were in and that was instagram and facebook and the, the kind of standalone community that that school had erected for these particular teachers. Yeah, so awesome. So you're tapping into existing communities rather than building your own from scratch, which obviously would take a lot, yes. a lot longer. Um, people on Twitter, of course, uh, put a lot of effort into building their, their following. Is it essential that you are the the influencer or the leader of a following before you have a community with which to, to now gather this feedback? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that there's much more value in tapping into existing channels? I firmly believe that the, the people who like own communities or who lead communities are the fewest and rarest among us. And um, it's actually quite a hard job to do. So being part of a community and sourcing information from it feels much easier than running one or trying to run one. I think yeah. there's a difference between being somebody who's already part of a community and just like managing it and somebody who's trying to build one from scratch. It's one of the hardest things you, I can imagine doing. Like even building a following, building an audience, much easier than building a community. Because a community has these, these internal dynamics that an audience you don't care about, right? An audience is mostly, while there are a lot of relationships in building an audience, building a community means you're building something static, something kind of interlinked, something that needs to be able to work by itself. And I was talking to um, Rob Fitzpatrick uh, recently, you know, author of The Mom Test and... Uh, yeah now in, in in the writing space and he was he has funny enough his homepage is a community like his personal homepage is a community page and he finds that super interesting he's working on like outcome oriented communities figuring out how you can build communities around a subject not a person but a theme something from getting from a to b that's the community and that makes it also much more interesting to, to manage and lead these communities because they're, they're not focused on a person like a Patreon community would be, right? I, I'm a miniature painter. Let me just derail this conversation and talk yeah, about miniatures because I think it's important. But I love painting these little wargaming miniatures like Warhammer. That's kind of the, the big hobby around it. Maybe, uh, dear listener, you've heard of this nerd stuff. So you, you paint these little figurines and then you play a little battle on a piece of terrain that you also built in your basement. It's really fun. But yeah. the idea is that it, it's, it's an enjoyable hobby for me because I get to a 3D print which is cool and i get to paint stuff and have a little paintbrush it's, it's, it's fun that uh, community is is a very youtube driven community at this point like a lot of people paint they show how they do it like they show how to make a miniature look really nice how to spray it with the right like you know like the right angle and get the light on it and all that stuff it's lots of fun and those youtube communities or these these youtube creators have over the years 
become stars in their community, like highly influential, 300, 400,000 followers for a person that does nothing but paint little miniatures all day and then Just talk about what it. they love. So <laughs> it's, it's hobby 101. Like you can turn anything into you know, a monetizable community or audience if you just really care about it. Doesn't matter. I've seen the same happen in plumbing out of all things. Like somebody who just loves to talk about plumbing and pipe fitting. Community of half a million people. Plumbers, obviously. Or home, like, in interested people who want to do their own plumbing in their home. There's lots of these people out there for any particular subject. But in the mini community, miniature painting community, there are podcasts now that you can become a patron for or individual creators that you can pay like 10 bucks a month and you get access to the Discord. And then essentially you get, get access to them. I am on several of such Discords because I have disposable income and I'm like an almost 40 year old nerd, so why not? So I'm, I'm part of this community and it's such an interesting thing because I see them actually struggle to stay on top of the communication in the community because it's so person-centric. Like people don't really go there for the other fans. They go there for them, right? The creator is the center of that community. And that feels, at least from my perspective, watching them struggle, that feels like a lot of work. That yeah, is like that a is lot of responsibility to be there, be fun, be engaging all the time, make it worth your $10 a month. Phew. If I had a choice, I would rather build a community about getting from A to B, and in this case, there would probably be a community about miniature painting, right? From getting from a beginner to an intermediary level or becoming better at shadows or becoming better at highlighting, which are parts of that hobby or airbrushing, you know, like little things. I would rather build an airbrushing community than I am a great airbrusher community. Right. This is a distinct difference between these two things. And with a podcast, um, it gets easier because the, the podcast itself is the community building um, the, the anchor for the community, right? If you if I were to build one around my own podcast, the Bootstrap Founder, probably easier than I than if I were to build it around myself and being accessible, because I could use the podcast like many people do to invite people to you know ask questions or be part of the show in some capacity, like and interact with the show, not with me, but the thing that I do. So communities of outcome, communities of process much more interesting than communities of celebrity. I don't even know how to phrase yeah. it. It's interesting. Yeah, your example of the miniature community is really cool. Uh, if I can maybe put a spin on it and bring it back to like the tech startup world. I'm a data guy, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to build a community, not that I'm going to, by the way, because I already don't have any time, but if I was going to, <laughs> I would probably want to build it around improving data literacy outcomes for people who want to become leaders or, or, uh, mm -hmm. coaching people on, on how to move into not coaching sorry but like a community about moving into product analytics or or, or something around that space mm -hmm. rather than about me yes. because me talking about data all, all, all day would be the most boring thing on earth probably yeah yeah it would also allow you to i don't know if it was boring or not like i i would i i would have to see it before i could make that judgment but uh the, the problem with the tristan burns community is that tristan burns needs to be there all the time yeah the, in, in a data-driven community or in a data analytics community you could a have somebody managing your community you could have a, could literally have a community manager and you would be the organizer and owner and you know like somebody who heavily influences where things are going but you could invite guest speakers you could 
could have like workshops and stuff all the time. You could have people self-organize into little accountability groups. I mentioned Rob Fitzpatrick earlier. That's exactly what his writing community does. He's been talking about it because he's uh, he's going into paternity leave now um, for obvious reasons. And he said his community needs to be uh, self-sustaining. And he's very happy that it actually is. He only needed to hire like one person to keep stuff organized. But his writing accountability groups, self-organized. People just find each other and stay accountable to each other. His um, events easily organized by somebody else, just inviting people to speak on a particular topic. Like if you set the right processes and procedures for your community, you don't need to be present in the community all the time. Of course you should be, but the community can be about more than just yourself, which is great because then you don't need to be there all the time. It's it's an important distinction to make um, because otherwise you you spend a lot of time and effort building something that is unsustainable for you. That's why I've shied away from doing too much community work around my own stuff. I have a little community around find you following the course, but it's, it's not really that big of a community or that active of a community because I don't think the, the course itself should be at the target of being a community. Now, an audience building community, different story. Right, people helping each other, reaching more people, talking about what works, what doesn't, what themes, what topics, what modes to explore. That wonderful. But an Avid Call Find Your Following community? Ugh, that is that that was not a good idea. Let me <laughs> flat out say this. It was an idea. I tested it, immediately invalidated. So it's um yeah, you have to figure these things out, but you learn quite quickly. How and how not of, to approach kinds of testing and failing and and moving on right that's that's how we that's how we learn yeah. and that's a big part of a big part of oh, yeah. entrepreneurship I suppose yeah yeah so, and how we teach like doing this in public building this in public failing in public that is a big teaching moment which is also important if you want to build credibility in your community absolutely and yeah. trust Definitely. authenticity big big components yes yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, Abed, I'd love to just get a sense of where you're at today, what's taking up your time right now. We've talked a little bit about where you came from with Feedback Panda and, and your writing and some of the mm. uh, courses that you've you've been able to create. What do you spend your time on at the moment? Well, right now, I have a really nice conversation going on with a really nice person. Oh, <laughs> no, what, what I'm doing what I'm doing right now is a lot of podcast related stuff, to, to be to be quite honest. So I've built this little media system for myself where every week um, I release two things. On, on a Wednesday, I release an interview that I did with somebody on my podcast, The Bootstrap Founder. And every Friday, I put some kind of commentary on top of that interview or on a topic of that interview that was mentioned there or that I thought about while I was talking to that person. So I'm that that's really what I spent all my time on is creating this, editing it, like administrating it, marketing it, distributing it. I'm present I'm essentially building a media business, which is great because none of these things means that I need to leave the house. It's awesome. I can stay in my unfinished basement forever. And that's the dream I always had and I am living it. So it's it's great. It was really um, nice because I have my little studio here. Not you're, going into a Canadian, you're going into a Canadian winter, so uh, I, I I don't know. Blame you Better stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice to have heating. Can tell you that, but yeah, it's 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 definitely. Um, I spent most of my time trying to build this ever-growing repository of knowledge around startup businesses, um, solopreneurship, 
self-funded businesses, audience building, creator stuff, you know, all these many topics. And sometimes I deviate into other things because I feel like it. And I'm building this big, long tail of knowledge that I try to share with as many people as possible. Because after selling a business, having a, a life-changing exit, you have many options. And some of them are sitting on a beach, which Canada is certainly not. But also was never interested in that because I felt like that, that was an interesting point after we sold the business. I was like, what am I going to do now? Where's my purpose? Where's my passion? Fortunately, I found it in writing and, and, and community building on, on Twitter. But um, it was a scary moment because you think life is going to be good forever after such a moment, but it's not. Like you've, You need something to do. And I found it in teaching. And that's what I, I think I can do this for decades at this point. Just talk to cool people, record that, and then share it, get, get sponsored, get paid for it at the same yeah. time. I'm not going to complain about that. So that's what I spent most of my time, like making things for nice people and yeah, making nice things for nice people. Maybe that's what I'm doing. Brilliant. That's really cool. Well, just lastly, I wanted to ask you about what it means to incorporate kindness into your activity. Mm -hmm. To you. I would think, yeah, well, I hope for other people too, but I think kindness is the, the reason why teaching works in, in most people. Let me, let me explore this a little bit. I think anything you do that is done from a, a place of kindness is an authentic and a genuine thing because you can do a lot of things that are not very authentic and disingenuous. If it comes from a place of malice or a place of manipulation or a place of, you know, trying to defeat the other person or get something that is not yours to, to get, a lot of these things, all the growth hacks you can use, all these little cheaty gray zone UX things that people do, right? All the many, many things you can do that come from a non-kind place result in not so nice things. And I feel the moment you switch that, you, you flip that switch in yourself and you say, everything I do is about empowerment and being kind to people. Certain effects start that you might not have anticipated because people see what you do and they see why you do it. Like pe most people are not that dumb, even though you might think they are, but people see through you and they see through your little growth hacking experiments and they think, okay, so apparently it's one of these people. Right. That's their, their, their realization will be, okay, I'm just part of somebody's experiment. They don't mean to build a relationship. They're just trying to get some more clicks. I'm going to treat them differently from now on. But if you do this from a place of kindness, from a place of intentionality and willingness to empower, people will resonate with that like strongly. And most of the opportunities that I got, and I talked about sponsorships, I talked about being able to talk to industry experts they didn't come from me trying to cheat somebody out of something. They came from me just being there, being nice to people and them kind of paying it back through introducing me to interesting people, introducing me to people who have a budget for sponsorships, that kind of stuff. It was all an opportunity surface that I created and then opportunities started striking. And the kinder you are, the bigger your opportunity surface gets because people actually trust you. Because in the end, all audience building talk and all community building talk boils down to, are you a person that people trust in terms of like who, your, your position in the, the social continuum around you, your expertise, your willingness to support, to, to help, to, to empower people? That is what matters. Everything else, all these vanity things along the way, 
how many followers you have and stuff that matters little in comparison to do the people that really care about you care about you because you're honest or do they not care about you at all well for you it really shines through Avakal, thank you so much for your time uh, today before we go do you want to just give us a little very quick plug about bootstrap founder podcast <laughs> it's an amazing podcast. Honestly, I really enjoy I enjoy talking to people, as you can probably tell from this conversation. Yeah. And every week, an, a new person from the field uh, of entrepreneurship, of the creator economy is on the show. Like we had Daniel Vassalo, Rosie Sherry, we, we have Andrew Gastecki coming up, we have Jake Klaus wow. coming up, and people from different fields too that you might not expect coming in the future. The, the Bootstrap Founder podcast is uh, very inclusive. I try to get any any kind of person that is super interesting into the show so yeah check it out uh the bootsofunder.com slash podcast if you're interested and ju otherwise just come to twitter check me out if you like me follow me if, if you don't like me don't follow me check it check out yeah <laughs> well you know everybody has a choice and i very much value that but yeah if you're interested in any anything bootstrapping related anything creator economy related audience building or just being a nice person in public that's uh, when you should come to twitter.com slash Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. Okay, danke schön. <laughs> Sehr